Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 349 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. So that means next week is episode 350, and that's the very first time I'm thinking that, which is unlike me. I know. I just thought of that, too, and I think that just feels like a big milestone. It does. And yet, when you have been around as long as we have, uh, we don't celebrate every Every 50, every 100. I mean, we no. try to ring a We're little, little sporadic bell. about it, aren't we? <laughs> it's like when you have kids and you're like, oh, my gosh, they're six months old today. It's like half a year. And then 18 months feels like also kind of a big deal. But then when they're like 11 and a half, you're not like, well, today he's 11 and a half. So just as time goes on, perhaps the midpoint milestones feel a little less like uh, bells and whistles. I'm not sure. Right. Right. Yeah. So we are doing more listener questions today. If you heard last week's episode, we tend to do these in pairs, and that's because we can we can collect a whole bunch of questions, look at them kind of in aggregate, and kind of divide up the topics and make sure we have something halfway intelligent to say about them, and then we release them like back to back. At so, least one quarter of the way intelligent, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so last week we took uh, four listener questions, and today we have four more. And Megan, I was looking at these today and accidentally there's a bit of a theme of sibling dynamics. So I don't know if you noticed that, but it's, it's a lot of mom's lives is how the kids are getting along. Well, I was just going to say like sibling dynamics, even in precedented times, um, can really like, I'm not going to say make or break, but it, it's a huge theme that colors so much of your life as a mom. And right now we're just spending more time at home again. Um, we were just joking that this feels very much like, you know, shades of 2020 um, with people being home and quarantining and all those things. So like those sibling dynamics can really get under your skin when you are all, I don't know, basking in the glow of family life a little right. more. Is that a good positive spin I just put on that? Well, I'll put the negative, <laughs> which is that when a, when a family unit is under stress, each relationship pair or trio within it also feels that stress. And I mean, so full disclosure, we're recording this ahead. We don't know what life is actually like on January 25th, but as we record it, we both have people home. We both have, I have a spouse working from home. It does feel eerily a little bit like parts of 2020. And what's so funny about sibling dynamics is it's two years, that's two years have passed almost uh, just under two years, which means the sibling pairs in your house might be in totally different relationship points than they were if you were spending a lot of time at home, say, in the spring of 2020. So even that's crazy to think about. The fighting looks different than yeah. it did two years ago. <laughs> right. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. 
Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, our first question comes from Kara, and she has four kids ages 4 to 11. So I feel like I've been in almost that exact place, only by the time my four-year-old was four, I also had a baby. But um, it's an interesting it's an interesting age range. So let's uh, let's hear Kara's question. Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Kara calling from Florida. Um, I have four kids. They're 11, 9, 7, and 4. And my question for you guys is about sibling dynamics. My oldest is my daughter. Um, and she and my seven-year-old, who's my third born, one of my sons, they uh, are like oil and water sometimes. They will bicker and fight. Um, She just likes to point out when he's wrong about something or she gets so annoyed with him and rolls her eyes and does these deep 11-year-old girl sighs whenever he says something ridiculous. And he just seems to grate on her every nerve. Um, She just seems to enjoy pointing out where he's wrong. And even when I tell her, you know, to be patient with him, to give him grace, that she's older and more mature and smarter in the heat of battle, she just tends to forget. Um, And he tries to win her affection by offering her money or part of his dessert, but uh, sometimes it's, you know, to no avail. And then there's other times, though, where they get along beautifully, where they can um, come up with an idea and execute it together, and they just have the best time um, laughing and joking the ridiculous things he says makes her laugh and she encourages it. They just talk about how they're best friends and how much they love each other. And in those moments, I just have like hope for the world that peace on earth is possible because those two are getting along. But when it's bad and it seems like it's the worst in the car, or maybe I just can't get away from it in the car, it is miserable. And I am like, uh, should I just drive this into a ditch to make this stop? Like, oh man, it is just the worst. So I wanted to see if you guys had any thoughts on sibling pairs. Um, you know, they're off and they're on, uh, and, and how to encourage them to be on and to encourage that kind of collaboration. Um, 
and also how to keep your sanity when they're bickering and um, not to just totally lose it and want to send them both to the room um, and be done with it. So any thoughts on this are greatly appreciated. I kind of wonder if it's a case of them just being too similar. Um, and so that just causes them to butt heads, but I just am kind of at a loss and losing my mind. So thanks so much, guys. Really love the show. Bye. Okay. So Kara, I feel like there's been so many movies written about this exact scene <laughs> that you must know that you're in good company. Um, I'm just thinking of so many and like, like the, the parental cliches, like if I have to turn this car around and those kinds of things. And so I love the humor that you told the story with. And yeah, this is like really normal. And Sarah, I know you and I've both had those oil and water sibling pairs, but even the ones that aren't oil and water can become rather conflicted when they are confined in a space where they're touching or breathing on each other. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to normalize this for you, validate how like maddening it can be and say, man, I spent a lot of time with the, like the radio turned up glazed over doing that thing that we've talked about on the show where you kind of like go into a different zone mm. where you're just like in mom headspace and you're like almost don't even hear what's happening behind you. And that was one coping method. I don't know if that was the best, but it was one that I found myself in a lot. And then just saying, Hey guys, I'm looking for an address. Can you stop fighting? Like, I need everyone to stop fighting for like two minutes. Just because Pause. I just, it's like turning the radio down. I need yeah. the radio that is the kids, you know, bickering turned down so I can find where I'm going. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. I think that you tactically and Sarah, I'm sure you'll have good tactical thoughts about this. Um, how they're arranged in the car, how much um, autonomy they have over where they sit in the car sometimes can help, although that's not always possible when you've got little ones that need to be buckled into their seats. Um, I think putting siblings next to like putting a helper sibling next to the, the littler sibling they are least likely to fight with can sometimes be a tactical thing that you might want to try. Um, putting the kids in charge of the playlist and like so that they're thinking not about fighting with their brother or sister, but they're thinking about like the song they want on the radio, you know, on the, mm -hmm. um, yeah, on the radio next is another thing that I've done over the years. And then just a lot of me, I don't know, sometimes just zoning out a little bit or being really silly, being funny. I don't know. Like I, I, there's lots of ways to do it, but I, it just depends like in that moment what's happening and how aggravated you are. Do you have any sibling pairs that come to mind that you could specifically mention? Or if you don't want to mention by name, any like age spreads or seasons of life that felt particularly acrimonious? So for me, I don't know that I actually had any oil and water siblings that stayed that way throughout. Um, it tended to be certain age, like certain age ranges with the closest in age siblings. So mm -hmm. like Jacob and Isaac and Will and Owen at times fought. And I always feel like that four to nine time mm -hmm. was real intense with that. Mm -hmm. So like when the youngest was four or older, maybe a little younger with the youngest because an annoying, you know, an annoying three-year-old little sibling is annoying no matter how old the next oldest kid is up until like nine, 10 on mm -hmm. the higher side. And then I feel like because mine were only two years apart, the two little groups, by the time the nine-year-old was becoming like 10, then the younger one was becoming a little older and they were somehow able to just like find common ground again. But that's yeah. not exact either. And I know with, I'm sure there was some, there was some on either end of that range, some yeah. overlap. How about for you? I know you had a legit like actual sibling pair that just didn't get along. Yeah, I have an oil and water pair or I did in Reed and Violet, but the last two years, um, they play together a ton and get along great. And I want to speak to specifically the dynamic of an older feeling like they need to be right or tell the younger why they are wrong and just validate that not all kid personalities are like that. But when you have a magical pair where the older one is right often and needs to communicate that they are right all the time, and then a younger who is hypersensitive to being wrong, it is, it is torture because yeah. like it can turn, <laughs> it can turn like the most benign conversation topics into yeah. a battle. And then I always think of you, Megan, when you say like the, why can't you just like, can't right. you just like, must we let it really, go? Just like, let just it go. Please let it go. 
And what yeah. I'm hearing from Kara is that at an 11, an oldest who's probably like many firstborns, probably very rational and responsible in a lot of ways and feeling that like, seriously, like, can you just let it go for the sake of family harmony? And sometimes they can, but often they can't because they are also a kid, you know, 11 right. is still a kid. And I have an 11 right now, who not is not my oldest, but my middle who is so righteous in, in yeah. his need to be right. And then I have a little who has, it's been very hard to feel made wrong. And so I just am validating that that is a particular dynamic that is really hard. It probably, the type of fighting that results from that is probably, if we're, if we're zooming way out, it's probably pretty innocuous because it's not, there are other types of sibling pair dynamics. I think that can get a little bit more toxic. Like, yeah. Where it's mm-hmm. really like one beating up on the other or one kind of bullying the other or one manipulating the other. This yeah. feels like one of those things that's highly annoying, but probably easily outgrown. And and Kara, you're probably just literally in the absolute worst of it. And yeah. so I am I am with you on that. She said in the end of her message that maybe it's because they're so similar. And I think that can be true, like similar or yeah. very, very different. And the other dynamic I was just thinking of that could be super annoying. And I'm just fortunate that Clara is my youngest because I think if she were older than anyone else, she'd be the one in this situation mm. is the chronically annoyed sibling, like the oh. one who thinks the younger one is just the worst. Mm-hmm. And I am really me. fortunate <laughs> that the boys didn't, none of the boys were like that to the younger, the next, they would, there was a little bit of that, but there was like, they would just punch each other and move on. It wasn't really a big deal. If it were Clara and she had a, a younger sibling, I think she would think that they were the dumbest human right. on the planet and would be chronically annoyed. And mm-hmm. that would be as a mom, that would make my like mama bear instincts mm-hmm. go into play and feel protective of the younger. And I think that could become very difficult yeah. to be around. Yeah. 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 Um, I just have to share anecdotally that in case it's validating for anyone that I feel like I am largely past a lot of the really annoying bickering, not, not completely, but nine, 11 and 13, almost nine, 12 and 14 now. And we were in line this morning for a COVID test, uh, in a big parking lot. And my giant children, like two of whom are, all, you know, one is adult size. One is rapidly becoming adult size. We're like swatting each other. Like in, in that, like, it's almost like that, uh, like a cartoon, like they were with their hands. Right. And it started out funny and it kept building and all three of them were in on it until somebody got hurt and they're like uh-huh. yelling at each other. I'm like, can we And not? are you standing there like, going like, are you serious? Like, are I you... found myself in those yes. situations going, really, guys? Like, really? Right. Are we really we're doing, doing this? this right now? Yes. <laughs> yes. So I, I just feel like um, w- maybe we're n- not helpful in the tactical advice for Kara, but just just a reminder that like, as we've always said, like we can hope to have these adult sibling relationships one day where they look back on a family culture that was, you know, largely positive, hopefully, and that included a lot of fun. I still think you can get there with an awful lot of bickering along the way. So then it becomes, how do you manage your own annoying annoyance? Sorry. And, and you spoke to that Megan with literally just sometimes breathing through it, knowing that this particular pair is not always going to look like that because my oil and water then became not oil and water and probably they will become oil and water again, honestly. Yeah. And, and honestly, there's also very possibly some amnesia on my part where there were, there was periods where a couple of them didn't get along and it lasted a while. And I've kind of forgotten. And that's one of the beauties of motherhood. Like as time goes by, these memories, you know, become kind of soft and filmy in the rear view mirror. Oh man, do you see what I just did there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, you kind of forget like which specific kid was so nasty for that one year or like you went on that one trip and someone was a total pain in the butt, but you can't exactly remember which kid was the pain in the butt. And yeah. I think that in a healthy family, kind of everybody knows that at some point they could potentially be the pain in the butt. Like mm-hmm. there's an awareness there that it's not just that this is the annoying sibling that nobody wants to be around, but like we all have the potential like there before the grace of God go. I like mm-hmm. I could also become the most annoying person in the car. And sometimes maybe it's me. I don't know. Yeah. Nowadays, I would say usually it's just me. I'm the, no- like, I'm the annoying one. You're so annoying. <laughs> um, I have one I, a common enemy, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Gang up on mom. I have one more thing to add. Sometimes I think of things as we're answering these questions. Um, but just a reminder that as a mom, especially when we're talking about a seven and 11, you're not talking about a two and a five-year-old fighting. They're old enough to 
uh, accept some of the responsibility, even if they can't control the bickering. So I just think it's within your purview as a mom to sometimes say, you know, we were going to go. I was thinking we might go to the coffee shop this afternoon, but I'm not feeling up for the bickering that always happens in the car. So um, I'm not feeling up for that. So maybe you guys can help decide, like, is this something we can handle today without bickering or not? And just start to set boundaries for yourself of like, I'm not able to deal with the fighting right now. So I'm going to go in the other room. If you need me, maybe one of you can come get me because I'm not I'm not going to participate in this. And, And if you can start to like, set some of those boundaries in words, they are old enough where they might be like, oh, right. Like we, maybe we have a little bit of choice here in how much we let this affect the rest of the family. Right. Yeah. And you don't have to drive them somewhere. If you don't have to go, you don't Don't do it. (laughs) You don't have to drive them somewhere and listen to that. If you can figure out a way not to, that is within your decision. Yes. Well, let's move on to Jill. And I love this because it also has to do with a sibling pair, but such a different age range and very close in age little boys. So I'll just read her short email. She said, hi, Megan and Sarah. I love your show and look forward to every episode. I have three and four year old boys and every toy seems to have to be one or the other's possession. Any tips on dealing with the my toy versus your toy battle? I'm tired of having toys gather dust on the shelf because the other brother isn't allowed to play with it. Thank you for all that you do, Jill. Do you remember this? So you know what this is making me think of? Yes. But what it's also making me think of is like a small child. and, And this doesn't go away at three and four. Like this goes into the elementary school years. A small child's need to possess things. So you could have kids where they literally share every single toy. And it is understood that every single toy is common, mm-hmm. like a common property, right? They would still find ways to possess something about yeah. playing. Like I own that section of the carpet uh-huh. to play on. Or like you're driving down the street, like that's my house. That's my car. I mean, it's like they must possess things. And so uh-huh. that's not any kind of a solution, but I'm just saying it's like that that urge runs very deep starting about that age. Yeah. 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 I can go first. So I want to hear you, but so I'll be quick, but I can go first because you are the one who actually had pairs of little boys um, who likely would have been fighting over the same toy. My kids are a little farther apart and I had girl boys. So some of the toy fighting was a little different, but what I want to refer back to Jill is one of our first house rules episodes was house rules for sibling harmony. And that pairs nicely with what we're talking about. But this is a situation where you have a great opportunity to start to design your own house rules. And I can't sit here and tell you what they should be. But three and four year olds are young, but they are at the beginning of that preschool understanding of this is how it works in school. This is how it works at home. And without going overkill on complicated rules that include, you know, if this, then that, uh, I think a few understood and consistently implemented house rules could really help with this. And it might be something like the person who possesses that toy gets the first turn. We set a 15 minute timer. And after that, we take turns. It could be, I mean, I I, I don't want to go into the details because it's really up to you to decide what those are, but that's where I would start is what are the house rules where instead of arbitrating every argument of this is mine and this is yours, setting some foundational, doing some foundational thinking about what does it mean to possess a toy in our house? What's communal? What stays in the bedroom versus what's in the common area? How do we take turns in our house? I don't think it has to be the same for every family, but I I do think with closely spaced siblings who are vying for possession, that's going to really help you be consistent in how you approach all the, all the battles that will ensue. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that like the house rule could look very, very different. Like you said, Sarah, and that's like basically the whole premise of that series, right? Is like, it could look completely different in your house to the next house. But once it's settled that the house, the rule takes care of the policing. Mm -hmm. The rule is the problem. Point fingers at the rule, not at mom or the three-year-old or the four-year-old. Right. And so, you know, in, in that situation, maybe it's looking at like, when does this come up? Does one kid have what they see as cooler toys, you know, than the Mm -hmm. other? Is it that the four-year-old doesn't want to share or do they think the three-year-old's going to break their things? Like, how do you solve for the actual problem in your house, Um, which would be very different from the problem in anybody else's house? Mm -hmm. And and each sibling pair is going to be really different and have their own unique problems that they're bringing to it. But like, you get to make the rule depending to solve your problem and Mm -hmm. then the rule's made. And Mm -hmm. then 
it's not going to solve every problem, but now you've got a, a structure to look to. Yeah. And I also just, just validating that uh, three and four year olds developmentally aren't super ready to like put themselves in the other's shoes and share for sharing's sake. It doesn't mean that you don't have some house rules about turn taking, but um, I think expectations that kids should be ready to share are often much younger than is developmentally appropriate or should want to share that they should somehow be internally motivated to want to share their toys is, is I think um, we often expect that a lot sooner than kids are capable of it. So if they are, if they are incapable of sharing or taking turns at three and four, I would not lose hope. I would maybe do some reading on what is the developmentally like predictable timeline for that. And, and just rest assured that it's, they are likely right where they need to be. And so then that comes back again to what are the house rules that help you manage it so that you're not pulling your hair out. Yeah. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest. I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know, what's good to go. My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather. But please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. Okay, so our first question for this half of the show is from Hannah. And this is another question about kids in the car. They're annoying, am I right? Hi, Megan and Sarah. This is Hannah from Portland, Oregon. I have three kiddos, ages four and a half, two and a half, and 11 months. And my question for you all is about parenting in the car. And specifically, how do you deal with it when one kiddo is singing too loudly and so the other kiddo is having a meltdown about that or looking at them the wrong way and everybody's screaming or saying stop it or whatever the case may be and you can't really stop because you need to get where you're going. Um, How do you handle those kinds of situations? I found a lot of your other parenting tips really helpful, so I'm hoping you have some good ideas for this one. Thanks so much. Okay, Hannah. Well, first of all, I think your kid's age spread is pretty close. I guess a little bit, uh, a little closer together than mine on the third baby there. But I just want to paint the picture if listeners don't remember this about my third child. But 
she screamed in the car for the first six months of her life. Uh, Every car ride didn't matter how short or how long. Yes, I know sometimes it's like a reflux issue or a tummy issue or, or a motion sickness issue. We tried a few things, but eventually it just stopped. But every car ride from the moment I became a mom of three kids and through the first six months was torture. And then every car ride since has been some kind of different type of not torture, but challenge with those closely spaced three kids. So I feel you. Um, The first thing I thought of was, again, I'm going to call back to one of our house rules episodes. I think this might have been for travel or road trips or something, um, but it might have been for sibling harmony. And the listener's house rule was if the family is in the car, the person doing the annoying behavior must stop. If the family is in the house or in another location, the annoyed person gets to relocate. And I thought that was a really smart house rule because neither one's totally fair. Like sometimes it feels really unfair that you have to stop a pleasant song that you might want to sing. That might feel unfair. But the good news is when the same thing happens in the house, you get to keep singing your song and the annoyed person can leave the room. So because in the car, there's close quarters and no one can bail. Like no one has the option of just opening the door and exiting the car while it's in motion. So it's like one person has to sacrifice for the greater good, but in the home, everyone can put a little effort in so that everyone's needs are met. I I thought that was so brilliant too. I think that's really smart. Yeah. And four and two are, are on the very young end to be able to start to implement those. But just like we said to the last to Jill, like now is the time where you can start thinking about like, in our family, here's how it works in the car. Like, blah, 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 blah. So house rules, number one. Number two, this these are great ages for audiobooks in the car or for some kind of car programming that you decide as a mom is suits everybody. Um, and you might find that having some programming, and I'm thinking audiobooks or podcasts, but whatever whatever you decide, then everybody knows what to expect and might even look forward to getting in the car. It's not going to stop every annoying behavior, but I have found that anytime my kids know what to expect and there is less room for debate about, you know, who's in, who's in the power position in this car ride. Is it the kid with the loudest voice? Is it the baby who's crying? Is it? And I think one, three and five, which your kids will be very soon is a great uh, window of time to start to listen to stories in the car, even a one-year-old, believe it or not, because we did a lot of audio in the car and um, even very young toddlers can start to listen. Um, And maybe you can find something that is not annoying for you. Cause again, you're in charge, you're the decider. So you might be able to find some programming um, that isn't annoying to you, music or podcasts or audio books that the other two can get into. And that might neutralize things. So I'm curious if and, and you that. might just, and you might just find that something that is mildly annoying to you when compared with the sound of annoying yeah. children in the car becomes, I'm just thinking when my, when Jacob and Isaac were little and I don't remember why we lived outside of Minneapolis. And for some reason we were doing tons of driving. I, I think it was because wherever we lived, we were kind of far from everything. And I had to mm-hmm. like drive, you know, and I spent, I spent a lot of time going to like target or whatever mm-hmm. to occupy them. And so everywhere we wanted to go, there was a lot of driving and we had this like ancient cassette tape. It was like a Sesame street cassette tape and it was really old. And for some reason I just, played it like on a loop mm-hmm. nonstop. The kids loved it. Oh, that's why. Because when they when it was on, they just listened or mm-hmm. sang along. Mm-hmm. And when I hear those songs now, it's like the most, like I grew to love it just as much as they did. Yeah. And it was like rubber ducky and mm-hmm. stuff. And it became the soundtrack of a calm and peaceful car mm. for me. When it was off, everything went all downhill. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was also not above like special toys in the car to keep Mm -hmm. people occupied. Um, There was a time, I think this is why lots of moms default to snacks in the car Mm -hmm. Uh, for older kids games. Like if you can be quiet for 20 minutes, you'll get a dollar. Like I kind of feel like Mm -hmm. if it's the time, if, if whatever you're doing isn't working, it's okay to pull out the stops because you have to safely get from point A to point B. And however you got to make that happen, it doesn't have to look, um, Parenting doesn't have to look when you're trying to operate a several thousand pound (laughs) death machine through traffic, your parenting doesn't also have to be fantastic and on par, right? Like you make some, 
you make some choices in the moment. I think some that's one of my favorite things that you've ever said. And it, <laughs> it is so true. It is so true. Um, I will say that I really enjoy being in the car with my kids now and have probably yeah. for several years, I'm going to say, since maybe since Hannah's kids are kind of similarly spaced to mine, I'm going to say four, six, and eight, even five, seven, and nine. So that's that's a long time. So for the last several years, I have genuinely enjoyed car rides with all three of my kids. And it happens less because they don't all go to the same school. We're not like in the carpool line altogether. And so I I think you're probably headed into a challenging phase of being in the car, but like maybe a, a helpful reminder that some some amount of car time with a group of mixed age kids can actually be really fun down the line. Yeah, I agree. And I'm at that place now too. It's all it's all great now, really. I mean, but my kids are legit old and in charge and they get to control the music and that we get to talk about that. And like, it's very, very different than even four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, here is our last question for this episode. And this one comes from Christina and she um, directs this one actually more at Sarah. Um, but I'm sure we'll both have some thoughts. She says, we have been pretty loose about screen time since having a baby eight months ago. And it seems that too much screen time is negatively impacting our older children's behavior. Screen time has always been a battle. And I'm wondering if it's more trouble than it's worth. It's been such an easy way to keep the kids occupied when I need a break or when the baby is napping. But now my kids have zero tolerance for boredom and cannot seem to entertain themselves without someone holding their hands. Mm -hmm. Sarah, you've indicated that you were pretty restrictive with screen time when your kids were little. I'm wondering how you were able to fill your time. The days feel so long with little kids while also getting things done that you need to get done, like laundry and dishes, and maybe even getting a little me time too. I'm also wondering how you were able to teach your kids to manage their boredom. Finally, how do you cope with complaints or meltdowns in the case of some of my kids of boredom with without jumping in and telling them how to spend their time. Thanks. Um, there's a lot there, Sarah, but I'm sure yeah. you'll have some thoughts. I do. Cause I, cause I like this topic and the longer I am into motherhood and a global pandemic, I also think that even that she's right. I was pretty restrictive in the early years, but I think I've, uh, I can speak to a variety of approaches. So we're not like a screen free family by any means. Um, so I'll just kind of break down a few of Christina's questions. Um, and the first thing I want to address, well, two elephants in this room, there are two elephants in the room. One is COVID and COVID parenting. And I just really firmly believe that no mom needs to make herself feel worse for using screens as a way to get through the day at any time, but especially in a global pandemic. Um, and, and I would add to that, that if screens are working in your family, you don't need to change anything. I, I always say the same about when people ask about getting a baby to sleep through the night or sleep training or or nap schedules. And it's like if if it's not if you are humming along and it's working well, this is not a thing you need to change because the AAP says so or the mom down the block says so. So I'm answering it because Christina has said it doesn't feel like it's serving her family anymore. Right. But I don't want anybody to interpret that as as that then they need to change their screen time rules because if it's working for you, especially in pandemic times, A plus, good job, you're getting through the day. Um, right. The other elephant in the room is not really an elephant in the room. It's just something that's really important that people hear is that I didn't get stuff done. I didn't, in those years, I was not making a variety of healthy meals for my family. I was not cooking very much. Um, I was not working very much. I was not keeping a very kept house. Is that even a word? I made some choices about uh, screens that were pretty extreme compared to my peers, but I don't want you to think I was doing other things. Had I allowed my kids to watch a couple hours of shows in the late afternoon, I would have made dinner differently. Like I just, I just wanted yeah. to be really clear that there are trade-offs and what my choices do not have to be your choices. And I don't want anybody to think I was killing it in on, on all fronts. In fact, like I really like I, there was a very many things I was not doing. So mm. that's like <laughs> a big preamble. Do you want to jump in, Megan? And then I do have some thoughts about the boredom and the um, the pushback because that that continues as kids get older and my kids still do that. But I'll pause here because I feel like I've been talking a lot. Yeah, well, I think that it's interesting for me because 
the whole concept of screen time changed dramatically between my oldest kids and my youngest and has changed dramatically again since she was born. Um, Clara was born in 2009. People didn't hand their kids cell phones at the at restaurants to keep right. them busy in 2009 that I recall. I mean, people right. had them, but there weren't like smartphones weren't really a thing yet. You yeah. couldn't really, I don't think maybe, maybe iPhone had just come out. It wasn't as common, like to have a, a device in your pocket that could entertain your kids was just not a thing. And when my oldest were little, we had a uh, one TV and a VCR. That's it. So the whole idea of like what's available to kids has changed so much over the years. And um, I'm thinking back to like the way it was to live in a relatively small apartment where the screen, oh, I do remember we had this, uh, I don't know if it was Fisher Price or something, this very rudimentary computer game that was supposed to be for like little kids, but it was so mm-hmm. much work for me because little kids can't hold the mouse very yeah. well. Yeah. So it was like <laughs> supposed to be aimed at little ones, like a year old. And it was like a little bear and you would, you would drag, click and drag a shirt and put it on him. And he'd go, the shirt goes on my body. <laughs> like, I'll never forget that. But it was me literally sitting there doing all the work because oh. Jacob couldn't manipulate the mouse well enough yeah. to do it. So things have really advanced at like almost an alarming rate to where now there are, there are iPads built into baby's bouncy seats. And mm-hmm. probably now, like that's probably even a dated reference. It's probably mm-hmm. now like a hologram that like goes into their brain or something. <laughs> you don't even have to do that. So anyway, I'm just taking a big step back from this and saying, like, I really feel for parents who are thrown into this because we have no, like, ba- it's changed so fast yeah. that we don't have a frame of reference for what this is like because we didn't live like this when we were little. And mm-hmm. even if you've got a kid at the older end of the spectrum and then the little one, things have changed again. So there's yeah. that. Um, I think for for me, one of the decisions that I made when I had a small baby and I really did, first of all, needed to work and I had a bunch of kids at home um, and I had to get stuff done and I wanted to also cook. And there was just, there was ways about setting up my life so that it made sense for me and was satisfying and mm-hmm. didn't make me nuts that required me to sometimes have things to distract my kids with. And that's always been the case for me. And I somehow did it without iPads and I don't or like t- tablets or smartphones. I don't really remember, but I must have. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think some kind of screen was involved. It might've just been like Teletubbies on a loop or something. Yeah. I, I don't really remember. I think for me, what became like a battle was when I tried to like police it too much, all of the rules and the, um, complicated, um, systems in place to see who was using it when, that was what became to me not worth it. And so yeah. what I, I went through several different ways of making this work. There was a time where we literally only had one computer in the house. It was just one screen to use. And we had enough kids that you, you got it for an hour a day. And once that hour was used up, it didn't matter. Like if you're, if you wasted half your hour doing something different or you let your big brother jump on to like you know, beat this level for you or whatever. You don't get that time back. Mm-hmm. And that was a decision I had to make. And that's how silly these, these fights can get. It'd be mm-hmm. like, okay, so oh, um, I know. Will oh, has it from four to five. Okay. And, and say Isaac had it from five to six, but then Will couldn't beat the dragon. So he asked Isaac to get on the computer and beat the dragon for him. Now Isaac's off. Now Will's trying to get like a credit mm-hmm. for that time. And oh, I yeah. had to be like, nope, that's sorry. You don't get a credit. So I did go through different variations of what those rules looked like. And when they stopped working, I would change the rules. I, mm-hmm. And that's how I stayed ahead of it. And sometimes that meant I just didn't police it at all. Mm-hmm. So that's like the other extreme. But from what Christina is saying, if the screen time isn't helping at all, and it's not the policing and it's not that the rules aren't working, but it's actually the screen time, then keep it simple and abstain. Just get rid of them. I mean, I think that's the other option that you could do. Like there's, there's the extreme, which is like no limits. And then the other extreme is no devices. And then in the the messy middle is the negotiation and the policing. Well, and, and to jump in there, my rather extreme and, and I'll just say what it was. So we had zero screens in during the week at all. Um, and then they, we put on a movie for them 
on Friday and Saturday mm-hmm. nights, and they had one hour on the iPad on Saturday and Sunday mornings, and that was forever. So the the extreme was more the zero during the week uh, yeah. because that was more extreme than most of my peers were doing. But I will tell you, it is as simple as no limits. It is simple in the same way that no limits is simple. There was no negotiating ever. So when Christina, they didn't even ask. And it was that way for so many years. Um, right. And when Christina, I'm, I'm looking at her sentence where she says, I'm wondering if it's more trouble than it's worth. And I think that wondering, there's there's one way to find out and it's to try and experiment. Um, and, and that brings me to the part about the complaining about being bored. Boredom and solving for boredom is truly a muscle. And I have seen it in the last mm. two years of it's a muscle you flex. I think I didn't finish that thought, but you, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a fitness level. And I have seen in the last two years of a pandemic with older kids where we have more relaxed rules anyway, plus we're relaxing rules because of being home and COVID right. and all that. Um, I have seen the ability to solve one's boredom, uh, flex, wax and wane in terms of their ability. So I think it's, it's a corollary with this wondering if it might be worth a new experiment. Only you can know that Christina, only you can decide, but I will tell you that, um, getting, uh, getting comfortable being uncomfortably bored, especially for school-aged kids. And I know she just had a baby and she has, I don't think she said how old the older two are, but For school-aged kids, um, they are not great at it in the beginning. If their boredom has been solved or they've been living from TV show to TV show, and I have kids who are like that, it's not that they can't enjoy themselves when they're not in front of a screen, but you know the whole time they're thinking about the next time they get to play a video game. And I I have some like that. Um, But after a while, when it's not an option, you will see that fitness level rebound. And I think as adults, we're the same way, right? Like, we're yep. reflexive about our habits. And Megan, you have abstained for three weeks from alcohol and I've been doing social media Sabbaths. When we take away uh, an easy crutch for boredom. Yes. Yep. We feel the discomfort and then eventually our eyes are opened to other opportunities. So I think all I want is for Christina to feel empowered to try and experiment and not have to stick with it forever because screens aren't yeah. bad and using screens in parenting is not bad. But if it's not serving you, trying an experiment and not not worrying so much that they'll be bored and whiny because they will be bored and whiny. That's the part where like, right, without my you can't Instagram get around or that. without your wine, we are going to be bored and whiny. <laughs> but it's what happens through that that is interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think that that is a really interesting point. And I I like that you brought up us both doing like these different challenges where we remove the option of something. And I've done Mm -hmm. different things where like, okay, I'll drink less or I'll only drink on certain days or whatever. And I just thought, what if I just simplify things and remove it as an option and see what that feels like? And it's harder for like the first two days. And then it's a lot easier because you've decided once, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've already decided once that I am not going to drink for three weeks. So right. I'm not going to decide that every single day. I'm not right. deciding like, decide. yeah. I don't have to think about it. It's not a thing anymore. And, but that doesn't mean the discomfort goes away. And I, and I think that if Christina, if you decide to go scorched earth on this and I, I didn't with screen time that I can recall. Um, but I have with other things mm-hmm. in, you know, in my kids' lives where it's like, okay, that's not an option anymore. You can't have that, or that's not going to exist. And it, during that time of discomfort, it's really not your job to, um, make it, I don't even know how to say this without sounding really harsh. Like it's not your job to make them not feel that discomfort or a complaint. Like it's just, it's going to happen. You can give them like some other alternatives. Mm -hmm. I'm drinking mocktails. Maybe your kids want, like they can like make a fake TV out of a, um, out of a cardboard box. I mean, I think it's so funny how kids will do stuff like that sometimes Uh when they're not allowed to like, look at their screens. They're like, make a fake screen with crayons uh-huh. or whatever, but that's fine. Um, you can give them tools, but it's not your job to make that not hard for them. Cause it is. And that's a great thing for them to learn. And I think that the last thing I would say about all of this is that Sarah, I think one of the reasons this has worked so well in your home is that you've got a really onboard spouse. Mm-hmm. And I personally know that if you and your spouse are not on the same page about the technology issue, mm. you trying to implement something scorched earth is often very frustrating. And I'm just going to throw that out there just Mm -hmm. as a, if you've tried this and it hasn't worked for you and I'm not saying you, Christina, but you listener, um, and you're like, why do I keep trying to do this? And it's not happening. Is there, is the reason that 
the other co-parent is not on board or that mm-hmm. there's another situation your kids are going into a caregiver, grandma, grandpa's, whatever, where it's like undermining what you're doing. And if so, how can you grapple with that? And I can't mm-hmm. give, you know, any right. theoretical. It's just, it's just another factor that it I is. think makes these things tricky sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. And just remember, I'll, I'll end where I started, which is if you decide to try something like this, please don't hold yourself to the same standards of productivity because you, you're making a choice that you're right. You will not have that quiet time while the baby naps or that hour before dinner. So you might need to ask yourself what what you're willing to let go of in your expectations of yourself um, if this is an experiment that you want to try um, because- yep. I would hate for you to also expect, you know, the house to be picked up, man, the kids are messy when they're not on screens. I, the messes are outrageous. And I have lived through some seasons of life with insane messes. So just again, knowing that that is, it's up to you. Um, but you, you shouldn't be expected to also have the house stay clean and have dinner ready because you can't, you can't take away the screens and expect the same performance level of yourself because screens are a tool. They are a tool yep. that we use very you know, employ when we need to. So, yeah. All right. Well, this was another fun listener questions episode. Um, if, if anyone's curious and wants to like deep dive into all the listener questions archives, we will link that up in the show notes. Um, I think this is the 37th. I do number them. Like they have their own little numbers. I think this is like volume 37. So 37 episodes of us taking listener questions of all stripes over the years. And so we can link up a way. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Tease Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes. 